Hey listeners, this episode discusses miscarriage, fertility treatments, and adoption. Please take care when listening. You're listening to the Raise to Empower podcast. I'm your host, Ashley Kamajis, a licensed clinical social worker with a multi-state online therapy practice. I have a passion for empowering women and mom therapists to break free of the fear, overwhelm, and oppressive systems that hold them back from taking action and building the private practice of their dreams. My goal is for you to boldly believe in yourself as a clinician and business owner. If you're looking for a place to learn practice building strategy and skill while also claiming your own power as a woman and a therapist, then you're in the right place. Welcome to the show. Hey listeners, welcome to this episode of the Raised to Empower podcast. Today kicks off a special four-part series that I'm doing this week about preparing for maternity leave in private practice. Now, while everyone's journey in pregnancy is so different, the reality is that everyone's journey to motherhood and parenthood is completely different as well. This week, I'm going to be releasing four new episodes Monday through Thursday. And in each episode, I'm going to be talking with a different woman about her experience and journey to motherhood and navigating private practice. Some episodes will discuss pregnancy loss, fertility struggles, adoption, and single motherhood by choice. So if you subscribe to the show already, you'll get a new episode in your feed each day this week. You can choose which episodes you want to listen to and which ones you want to skip. And also, if you're preparing to welcome a child, you're currently pregnant or in the adoption process or whatever phase you're in as you're journeying towards motherhood and are wondering, how do I take maternity leave in private practice? What do I do to prepare for? And all of the other important details. I'm hosting a free workshop on July 12th called Preparing for Maternity Leave in Private Practice, where we'll be going through all the details to prepare for maternity leave, including talking with your clients about leave, setting yourself up financially for taking time off, and all the other details. You can register for this free workshop at raisetoempower.com forward slash maternity leave, and you can check the show notes on this episode for the link. Now, in today's episode, I chat with my guest, Brittany Pope, about her experiences with infertility, pregnancy loss, and adoption, and how those experiences shaped and impacted her maternity leave. Here's my interview with her. I'm excited to introduce my guest today, Brittany Pope, an LPC who is a mom of two, nature lover, social human, and she is almost done tomorrow officially with her PsyD in psychology. She is a lifelong learner and lover of all things to support our mental health. She's from Ohio originally and lived in Alaska for eight years and now lives in Montana. She loves adventure and being with her family. Brittany, welcome to the show today. Thank you. Yeah, it's nice to be here. I'm really appreciative of you being willing to share your story with us today. I know we're going to be talking over a few episodes about experiences of becoming a parent and our different journeys to get there and how that has shaped what we've done in taking maternity leave and private practice. I always like to know a little bit though about people's story of how they got into private practice. How did you get into this field? I know tomorrow you graduate <laughs> with your PhD, which is so exciting. So tell me a little bit about how did you get to this field? So I actually started out as a special education teacher which like, I, you know, I think when some of my clients find that out, it's usually years after working with them and they're like, how did we not know that? (laughs) Because I don't 
share my bachelor's degree with you, (laughs) but that's how I started. Um, I have a brother with autism, an autistic brother, and um, he kind of is what led me to my path. Um, I taught for a year and realized it was before they mainstreamed. I was in a a school with all students who had autism and it just wasn't for me. So then I got my master's and I moved to Alaska and uh, worked for some agencies there and just loved it. Um, My master's is kind of a specialized master's too. Like it wasn't very like well-known, but it was specialized as a clinical counseling degree that specialized in people with disabilities. And then I knew like, I need a break from what I've lived through my life. And so I then branched out into private practice. Um, And I've been in private practice since 2017 while working my um, doctorate. So yeah. And then I moved to Montana for my internship. So, um, I yeah. have mostly been doing private practice between my agency work. And, um, when I was trying to become a mom knew that it would be much more supportive of being involved in your kids' lives. Yeah, for sure. What's the plan once you get your degree, like you graduate tomorrow, any changes <laughs> with like direction or, um, to be determined. Uh, okay. I don't know. Um, we are trying to navigate postdocs and like, what that looks like for us as a family and sure. what that looks like for our kids. But I wish I had a clearer answer. You would think <laughs> I graduate tomorrow. I'm not done with my internship till July though. So I've got yeah. some time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it's exciting. It just opens up some additional doors for you. So I'm really, again, honored that you're willing to kind of share your journey to motherhood with us today, because I think a lot of times there's so many questions for people in private practice who are looking at taking some kind of maternity or parental leave. And, you know, the reality is everybody's story is different of how we get to become a parent. And so I know your journey is through a variety of different ways to get there. So we'll kind of start wherever feels comfortable for you, but you know, if you're willing to kind of share, you know, how did things start out for you and kind of where did things end up through fertility for you? Yeah. So I don't remember a time my husband and I haven't tried. I should say that, Mm -hmm. um, we were married in 2017. We've been together for 10 years. Um, and so we were just like, whatever happens, we know we're going to be together. Um, and so we really, I think started actually trying after we got married in 2017, but before that we were just like, whatever. And, uh, so I've had quite a bit of loss. So just, and you're going to do a trigger warning at the beginning. Yeah. It's another one right now. Sure. Um, I have had two ectopics, 10 miscarriages. Um, and we, so we started out with time IUI or uh, times, I think just as time sex, like have sex. Yeah. At this time. Here's, here's letrozole. And, um, that didn't work. We lived on a remote Island during this time. There was no infertility treatment there. So okay. we actually had to travel to Seattle to do it. I actually stayed in Seattle for six weeks. The first round when we did IVF yeah. and it was, it was nice. I didn't have kids <laughs> at the time. So I could like go do stuff. And I was working remotely because it was during, uh, not even right before the pandemic. Okay. Um, the job that, um, at the time I was doing my practicums and stuff and they were so flexible with me, um, sure. and then in my private practice, I had the flexibility of being away for six weeks and then it failed. And so that was heartbreaking for us, like heartbreaking. Yeah. We kind of recouped for a couple months and we were like, we know we want to have a kid. IVF isn't probably the route for us. Like yeah. we don't know why there's an infertility. So on Valentine's day, there was a, like an adoption workshop with this agency in Anchorage. So with adoption too, you can't adopt out of catch can either. <laughs> okay. So it's, a, it's quite an extra journey for us. So uh, it's like only specific 
areas that you can adopt well, from up there or? There's not an adoption agency in Ketchikan. Oh, so like, okay. Because it's such a remote rural island. Um, there's no like so resources like that. So yeah. it was either foster care or go through this infant adoption agency out of Anchorage, which is about a five and a half hour flight for us. Um, yeah, yeah. So it's always, it's always like an extra layer doing anything. Sure. Can. <clears throat> so we um, applied for that and then COVID hit. And it slowed everything down tremendously. Um, We didn't even know if we were going to be able to get a home study, home visit. Um, About four months later, um, they actually were like, okay, the state's approving virtual home visits. So we were able to do it virtually, which was just bizarre, but great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And we got approved in May of 2020. Okay. And we got shown to like several families, but weren't picked, which is normal. Um, and then we got an option to adopt a child that had special needs and I was going to keep it because I don't want to disclose too much about that situation. Um, ended up, we were kind of navigating back and forth about whether we should do it and whether we shouldn't. And then there was some medical stuff that we felt like we can't handle and catch a can. Like if this child gets adopted, they need to be somewhere in a bigger city with access to healthcare. So it ultimately was our decision to say no. Yeah. Um, child, which was really hard, super, super hard. Um, and then we just were like, you know what, we're just going to take a break. We're going to allow, like, if someone comes up that we're interested in like adoption wise of the birth mother, then we'll just, we'll entertain it, but we'll just kind of let it be after like a couple failed, fe- like, you know, matches and stuff. Yeah. And, um, and then the middle of that, um, we decided like, we were still filling this pool to have a birth, like to have a, a biological child too. Okay. So we decided to do IVF again okay. during the middle of this uh, process option yeah. or of being matched and stuff. And so I was in Hawaii, or Hawaii. That would have been nice. I was in Ohio. Um, <laughs> okay. I said, if I'm going to do this again, I'm going to be in your family. And so I spent yeah. months in Ohio during the, during the pandemic, yeah. doing IVF, which was a, it was a whirlwind. We were already working remote anyway. This was when everything was shut down. Sure. We were all working remote. So it was perfect. I was in Ohio doing IVF. My husband was in Alaska working. And I got a call in August, um, August 6th, exactly of 2020 yeah. um, saying like, Hey, a birth mom picked you. The baby's here. Like, do you guys want the baby? And we're like, the baby's born. Like the baby's here. Yeah. Like the baby already arrived. <laughs> <laughs> and she, she was like, yeah. And she, she like, she's really interested in you guys. Like she wants wow. to like match, like she wants you guys. And yeah. I was like, okay, let me call my husband. Cause I'm like on the phone with the adoption agency by myself. Like yeah. and we talked about like, if we weren't together, how that would look like, whether sure. we, you know, and now I, if I did that again, we would have a plan for that. Right. Right. Um, right. And I was like, let me talk to Jake. It was my husband. And uh, he was like, I don't know, we're going through IVF. And like, I was getting ready to do the transfer, like within like okay. doing the transfer. So I was on the meds and all that stuff. And I was like, well, what if we don't, we didn't know how many embryos had made it. So it was kind of that okay. time of like, you don't yeah. know. I was like, what if we only get one embryo? Like yeah. and we want two kids. We were pretty clear on that. And he was like, I don't know. And we went back and forth and we actually said no. Okay. <laughs> At first. And we hung up the phone. I told the adoption agency no. And they were like, are you sure? And I, and that question, I was, I didn't respond back to it. Yeah. That question just changed everything for me because I wasn't sure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, I don't know. And they're like, well, you have 30 minutes to tell us like, you oh can't. my gosh. Talk about like being on yeah. the clock. <laughs> yeah. Right. Cause they had to find other birth parents for this, yeah. for this in their pool. Um, and so I called Jake back and said, I, we can't say no. 
Yeah. And like, okay. So we got, I flew from Dayton to Anchorage. My husband got things ready at the house and we um, adopted Noah. <laughs> wow. Wow. <laughs> He's so, already named. And uh, I mean, yeah. she named him already, which is unusual. Usually like they let the adoptive parents yeah. name the child. So she named him Noah Ermias, Um and he's Tongan, uh, Pacific okay. Islander. So his middle name means sent by God. So we were just like, we yeah, can't change that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and we loved the name Noah. We didn't even know, like, we would have loved the name Noah. And he's such a Noah. Like, it, it's perfect. It's him. Yeah. <laughs> so did Ivy, so did you, oh, like, yeah. put that on pause? <laughs> Where's that at? Yeah. yeah. So we did. So we put that on pause. But because we paid for, like, a package, like, most IVF people know this. Right. Like, pay for a package. It has so many stipulations. Um, they were willing to like, cause they heard about the adoption and they're like, we're willing to give you six months to use like the rest of your package. So they, okay. they were just lovely. I couldn't, we couldn't have had a better sort of IVF team, um, sure. out of Dayton, Ohio of all places. Yeah. Um, yeah. They were lovely. And, um, so we put that on hold, um, and I stopped the medications right away and we, we took six months off. And we thought, okay, we have to use it by December of 2020. Like that was our sort of deadline. And my husband was like, well, like, do we really want two kids that close? I'm in the middle of my doctoral program during a pandemic. Like it was just a weird time. And I was like, and working and working. Yeah. (laughs) And I was like, it's not going to work. Like, it's not going to work. Like we've never had a pregnancy stick. Like it's not going to work. That was the mindset that I went in with. And maybe that was a really good mindset because I ended up with my second son, but (laughs) yeah, yeah. Um, So I did it in December. Noah was five months old. I did it IVF and, or the, um, I think it's the The transfer transfer. I was like, the name of it. Now, when you're in the world, you remember all the terminology. Oh yes. Yeah. Yeah. When you're out of the world, you're like, I survived that. Yeah. Um, Yes. So we, uh, we did a transfer and I found out December 24th, 2020, I was pregnant with our second. Wow. Wow. (laughs) And they are a year and 20 days apart. Exactly. Which is like, and for those who are parents, like my mind is trying to wrap itself yeah. around how you managed that. <laughs> like, oh my goodness. But at the same time, I totally understand where you guys were like, again, not that you necessarily had control over like any of this, but it was kind of like, this is the gift we've been given. This is the yeah. life we've been given. Yeah. We, we, I, I think we went into it knowing like all the feedback we got from people were like, it's going to be a crazy couple years. And I think yeah. that's sort of like, <laughs> how we've survived it. I mean, the last year we've been doing long distance. Like I've been in Montana with my children. My husband is in, is in Alaska. Wow. Know what we're doing. So we're like, let's stop there and like, you know, figure that out. But, um, so he comes down every, um, for a week, every 10 days and it's a party every time he's down there, it's a party when he's not, um, I'm 18 month old now and a two month, I think he's two in month, two years and eight months, two years, nine months. I don't know, but Um, and it's, it's, he's now finally potty trained. So it's getting a little easier. Thank you. The oldest one. And he's in a lovely school. It just, there's a lot of beautiful things that have happened over the last year that like, it sucked being distant, a distant family under two. And it's a beautiful experience for me because I've been able to spend so much time with my kids that like, I don't think I would have, if I had, it's a, it's different being just a one parent home. I think single moms are amazing. I have been a semi-single mom. I don't want to like offend, use that term in the sense of like single moms, sure. are a, a single co-parent. And it's been like, a, it's been a journey while finishing my doctorate internship and my dissertation and all that yeah. stuff. 
And I mean, people like in town. Yeah. And like, yeah. <laughs> um, but Montana is yeah. a great place to live. Bozeman has been a beautiful place to live and like it has lots of stuff for kids to do. So it's been a, a fun journey for the kids. And yeah. I. Like an experience and adventure for everybody. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So that was our journey. That was a long yeah. way to tell you we adopted and did IVF, but it was a yeah. wild ride. If you're okay, I want to go back. Oh, you know, I know you shared like there was a significant amount of loss at the beginning. Um, And were you in private practice during that time? I just started private practice in 2017 and most of my loss happened 2018, 2019. Okay. Yeah. So I was in private practice during that time. I mean, there was times where I would, I had an ectopic, I have to get a laparoscopic procedure done. I had to to cancel all my clients at last minute. So imagine the guilt of not being a good therapist and that, yeah. um, and then, you know, having two children back to back, I took two maternity leaves, yeah. um, still felt like a bad therapist. That's my own thing. There's nothing on my clients, but yeah. Yeah. Um, the flexibility of being able to do that. Like I had sure. two pregnancies within like, I think it was three or four months of each other. So I had wow. two laparoscopics pretty back to back. Yeah. Um, and that was pre COVID. So you know, like telehealth wasn't as much done. I probably would have right. done, but I also needed the time to heal and grieve too. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, and that's what I was going to ask. Cause I know you've shared, you shared with me that like perinatal mental health is one of your areas that you work in. Were you working with that population during that time of loss for you? Yeah. So I don't think it's as heavy. I don't okay. think I was doing as much. I think, I don't think I could have, um, yeah. I, I needed my own kind of space and time, but I was working with moms who were pregnant, new moms. Yeah. Um, I didn't do as much perinatal grief cause I didn't really know what it was to be honest. Like I didn't, yeah. you always hear one in four people have infertility and it's like, but those one in four people also have experienced significant loss too, most yeah. likely. Yeah. Um, and so I didn't, I, I didn't do as much perinatal loss until after I had experienced it myself. And I was like, sure, there's no resources for this. Like what right. about this stuff? Right. Um, so now I do a lot more of that. Well, I'm in my internship, so I'm not as like ingrained in it because there's not a lot of 18 to 25 year olds who are planning at that stage of life. Um, I shouldn't say that that never happens, but it's uncommon. I'm not doing as much now, but before I left, yeah, I was doing, I was running a mom support group for new moms. Um, I was working with like, moms and dads who experienced perinatal loss. Cause we can't also forget the dads, right. Experience the grief just as much. And my husband never got asked how he was doing. It was, how's your wife doing? Are you accessing therapy for me? Yeah. Not for yeah. him. And they experienced the loss as well. And a lot of times don't know what to do. Yeah. Like, what, and- what am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to support my partner? Yeah. And that was what my dissertation was on. It was on perinatal grief and the impact in men. And because I was like, we can't forget about the men people. Like we can't forget about the men identified partners here. Um, Yeah. And so that's, that, that was a really impactful, I think, piece that I researched that I did. And also very healing. I spent five years doing research on men's grief. And it, like, I think someone had asked me recently, um, how did you feel after you defended your dissertation, which was uh, about a month ago. And I said, I felt like I was healing. Yeah. I was healing. healing. I felt like it was like, sorry. No, that's okay. Like nail in the box. Like, okay, you're done. Like you can put your grief away now. Yeah. Well, I I mean, you say it's five years, like you were going through those losses while doing this research, which like, I can only imagine at the time, like maybe at the beginning didn't feel as much of like processing, but probably felt heavier. But now, like you said, it feels like maybe that's how you were able to work through some of that grief. Yeah. I was able to put it to a purpose. 
like, yeah. could, you know, be like, okay, at the end of this, like, I'm going to have a piece that, and I'm, I'm working on publishing it, um, in the PSI, um, Alaska, yes. uh, I don't know if they do a magazine or quarterly, whatever they do, but that's my next kind of step is just to dem- disseminate it and get it out there. Um, but yeah, that was a question from one of my dissertation committee members. Like, how did you go through this? Cause I'm pretty right. open. Like, Hey, th- this is my life story. Like, if you want to know, um, how did you go through this? You're a therapist for this and you're a research for this now. And I, and I said, I just, I had to put different hats on, you know, when I was doing yeah. research with, with a gentleman that I was working with, I couldn't be the therapist for them, but I could give yeah. them resources. And how, how invaluable is that for them to sure. learn about and share their story and get resources? Did you ever find either in the, as you were doing research or when you were going through either experiences of loss and grief, or even the fertility process that like, it can be hard. And I'm thinking like on a personal level, right. When, if somebody is going through fertility or infertility and they're happy for their friends, but I just thought there's also a pain there. Right. Of Like, but why not me? And when working with clients who maybe are experiencing pregnancies that are going full term or not experiencing a loss, like, did you find either in the research or in your work with clients ever a need to like step back from that for your own well-being? Yeah. So with my research, like when you do like dissertations, like it's like, it's, it's a process. And so you're really more working on sort of the background information at first. I didn't start doing the actual like clinical interviews until November of 2022, which I honestly am so grateful for because if I would have done those at the beginning, I probably would have not been okay. But because I already had my kids and I was like kind of through my own grief, because I've done, I've done lots of counseling for my own stuff. So I think that was like a happy accident in, in a lot of ways. And yeah, there were times where like I had a client when I, or I, when I was pregnant in private practice, I would be seeing a client who was struggling with infertility in there. And I'm sitting here pregnant and they're like, I'm so sorry to talk about this. Like very guarded sort of of me. And I was like, no, like this is your lived experience. And then I think like after when they'd leave, I'd have to sort of do some grounding things and like really put it away because I didn't want to lose my baby in my belly, you know? And you've um, gone through so much loss already. Yeah. Like you know what that feels like. Yep. And my hypervigilance, yeah. the first like 20 weeks of my pregnancy was just like anything I put in my body, anything I do, like I want this pregnancy to be successful. And then the last 20 weeks, I was like, all right, we made it. I mean, but, yeah. but again, like still birth is possible, you know? Absolutely. I mean, um, and I interviewed probably three or four men who've experienced stillbirth and yeah. lost babies after like had pre pretty much preterm labors and lost their yeah. lost children stillbirth. So like, it, there's still that other risk, but I had never experienced a stillbirth. I had never even been pregnant past 20 weeks. Mm. So my goal was just to get to 20 weeks. Yeah. Then I did the rest of it. And so once I was past 20 weeks, I think like it was easier for me to separate a little bit from that stuff, but sure. the first 20 weeks that I was, and I told people actually pretty early on. I was wondering, I, yeah, like how you navigated that conversation. Yeah. So I actually was um, at the time doing a practicum at um, a site in Ketchikan and I had shared with the entire team. It's like, I'm six weeks pregnant. Like, just want to let you guys know, because if something happens, it's like, you know, that's why I'm um, like, yeah. if I call one day randomly and I'm like, I'm not coming in today. I, it's probably pretty much what happened. And they were like, great. And I got so much support. Um, I think there's so much taboo around the timelines that women need to share. Yeah. On. 
that's your choice. Like if you yeah. want to share when you're four weeks pregnant, you celebrate that you scream it to the skies. Like that's your success. That's your like excitement. And like, yeah. I want to help you in that. Um, and then I think some people are like, don't say it till 20 weeks. And like, right. I was just every single time I was pregnant, I was so excited, even though yeah. most of them resulted in a loss. Like I was so excited and I celebrated every single pregnancy, every single topic pregnancy that I had. I celebrated that because if I didn't, I don't think I would have survived my grief. There was an excitement here. There was a joy. There was a life here that like, there's a baby that yeah. may not have come full term, but like, I'm celebrating this yeah. in regardless of where we are in the process. And I think yeah. with IVF, I felt a little bit more comfortable because like we knew our baby was genetically normal because we mm-hmm. did genetic testing. So I think I yeah. felt a little more comfortable because we announced it to our families. I had actually ordered onesies thinking like, okay, if it doesn't work, like that's fine. I just ordered this or I had my cousin make one actually, yeah. um, think it under the tree to my mom. Yeah. Uh, because I thought, okay, we're going to find out on Christmas Eve. And like my mom will find out on Christmas. Like, yeah. I'm not going to not tell her, you know? Yeah. And she, <laughs> I got a video because we weren't home. We, we hadn't been home for Christmas in years because we don't yeah. like to over the holidays. And, um, and she like opened it up and she was like, there's no way she knows right now. That was her first response. <laughs> yeah. Um, because it was, it was only four weeks, but right. we to tell our families pretty early because like, it was the first time I actually felt so comfortable and being like, this baby's genetically normal. He's in the right spot and we know he's going to come and he came and he is yeah. right in the world with his kindness and his feistiness. <laughs> We've all been told we need to network in our private practice, but no one actually tells us how to do it or what to say. Enter Comprehensive Connecting, effective scripts that expand your networking community and actually fill your online practice. This free guide will give you effective scripts to connect with fellow clinicians, medical professionals, and community stakeholders to build strong networking relationships that will help fill your practice. In this guide, you will get tips and tricks for building relationships that will lead to referrals in your practice, real life examples of messages used to connect with referral sources, and customizable plug and send scripts for your specific practice needs. So download your free scripts guide today by going to bit.ly forward slash comp connecting. With Noah, right, with where you were in the process of adoption, right? And obviously your adoption story isn't one where we knew he was coming and we were preparing for him and anticipating this, right? Yeah, it was very much a surprise. With regards to your practice, did you have, well, I mean, I don't know how you would have begun to prepare clients, but like, did you have any conversations around this is a process we're going through if something comes up suddenly, or was it really like, this caught everybody off guard. And now suddenly I have to figure out how to tell my clients I'm going on maternity leave. Yeah. So that was the case. Um, because like, we didn't know, like, uh, self-disclosure is kind of a hard thing. I think like, yeah, how do we navigate that as therapists. Yeah. And, um, I don't know if any of my clients knew that we were going through the adoption process. I wasn't really, it's Ketchikan. It's a small town. So like we could have, but I don't know. And so we didn't really prepare anybody. We didn't say like, this is what we're doing. So uh, they did know that I was going away for medical stuff. That kind of was helpful because like I could prepare them like, Hey, I'm going to be doing telehealth for six weeks. Like, yeah. You know, I'm well, yeah you were away when yeah. you arrived. Yeah. So I was doing telehealth the time for all. So it was just more of like, Hey, 
I'm having a baby and I'm going to take three months off. And most of my clients, because it's private practice, they're a little lower needs, like higher sort of like, I, that's fine. I'm good. Yeah. Kind of thing. And some of them are like, Hey, naturally we wanted to end anyway. Like that's fine. I did work a couple of weeks into my maternity just because I would work on my husband's schedule just because I wasn't postpartum. And I felt like I want to give people at least like 30 days. Like I want to be sure. Fair. So I, I did work like, I think it was like maybe about three weeks in. Okay. Because most people were okay with a couple more appointments. So I did that. Um, I also, I did, I mean, since I was still doing telehealth because it was COVID, I worked like during nap times and stuff because Noah's nap times were pretty like predictable. Yeah. So I would just like put him down for a nap. I would do an hour session and then he'd wake up. That's how I did. I don't know how I survived that, but um, <laughs> a lot of my, I mean, there was a couple that were upset very much. Well, I mean, understandably. And like, those aren't, I like, that's not the type of client I want to work with. Um, If you're going to get upset because I adopted a baby and then take that joy from me or try to, I don't usually let people take my joy. Then I don't think this is a good fit. And that's in a nicer way of just like, Hey, like I, this is the, where the stage I'm at in life. And like, I'm going to be having other children and I'm going to be having other maternity leaves. And if that's something that's not okay with you, that's okay. Like other referrals of, you know, people who are not in this stage of life. And so that's, I mean, those are, I want to work with people who understand and that we're humans as therapists. Exactly. Um, and I want to work with people who aren't going to be unkind during some of this process. I learned like who isn't a good match and who is. No, I think that's such a, a, an important point because I know, I mean, you even talked a little bit about the therapist guilt, right. Of like, Oh, I have to cancel or I have to reschedule. And you know, we are so concerned about our clients, which is not a bad thing, but sometimes to our own detriment. And I think where you were able to, at that point, recognize that if this is someone who can't see me as a human, like see my humanity and recognize that this is an exciting thing, or if I'm experiencing a loss and I need to take time off to grieve, you can't recognize that I'm human. I'm having an experience. Yeah. I'm not a right fit for you. And that's okay. And I think that's hard for us because we like to be liked like human nature. Yeah. We like to want to be socially connected to people. And like uh, my, one of my supervisors, my, my, one of my psychologist supervisors, when I was going through like some of my loss, cause that was part of like some of my supervision. And when I was going through, um, the adoption and stuff. Yeah, He said to me, he was like, nowhere in our code of ethics, do we let people be jerks to us? And I think mm-hmm. he's never worried, but I'll, I'll yeah. require that not to be censored. <laughs> what this person is doing is not okay. And like, you're allowed to be like, Hey, I'm not going to work with you. If you're going to talk to me this way. That's so, so important to remember, right? Like that's not in our code of ethics that we have to be a martyr to people like treating us awful. Yeah. We don't have to accept mistreatment. We're allowed to set boundaries. And that was, that really stuck with me. That really really stuck with me. So knowing that we wanted to go into having our next son pretty close, I did prepare people after my, like my maternity leave. I'm in this stage of life. I just kind of kept it at that. Um, There might be another, you know, pregnancy, child, something. If you want to hang in there with me, like, that's fine. If you want to find someone that that's not the path that they're on, like I'm okay with that too. And so that's worked. So how long was your maternity leave with Noah? I took a lot longer with Noah. So I think it was during COVID. It was like, you know, like we can stay at home, like we can snuggle. It was just, so I ended up taking off. I was, I went back slowly 
I ended up taking off like August, September, October, and I think part of November. I think I ended up going back right before Thanksgiving, but if I would have done it differently, I probably would have taken off more time and just gone back after the first of the year. Also like that therapist guilt, I was like, well, I guess I like need to go back. So yeah, so I, I took off probably like three and a half, four months, maybe a little longer. Um, I started the nice thing about being in private practice is you can go back slower. You can start building up your caseload slower. And so I did that. I just, I had people that wanted to come back. They were like, oh my gosh, we probably should have seen someone while you were gone. I was like, I probably know I told you that. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, But I had someone covering while I was on maternity leave. I was really blessed to have a couple therapist friends that were like, Hey, if the client's a good fit for us, totally. We'll cover while you're gone. Good. Um, and some clients access that some clients were like, no, we're good. That I think is key when you're going on maternity leave is giving clients the option. Not every therapist has sort of those relationship or friendships. I think where that's yeah. like, like I have friends that are therapists that like, I'm, I'm actually thinking about taking a couple months off when I'm done with my internship, talk to a friend. She's like, I'll cover for you. You know, I just have really stellar therapist friends that are yeah. awesome. So that I would like say in in private practice setting, taking a maternity leave, I would say like, if you have a relationship with someone else or you're in a group practice planning with those folks, maybe a couple months ahead of time to be like, Hey, like, are you guys willing to cover? Like, what should I provide to these clients? And then the ones that like, didn't need it. I just said, contact me this date. I didn't. So you gave them like a, a specific date. Like when you went out, even though it was suddenly at that point you had anticipated or had like an estimated return date. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And and that was nice because people kind of trickled in because I was started back part-time. So that was really sure. nice. I just, people would be like, are you back yet? And they're like, yep. Yeah. Like I'll get you in. And so that was really nice because I was able to start slow. I did tell people, Hey, contact me after November 1st. Okay. Like, that's when I'll be back in the office. People were like mid November into November sure. and then, you know, into December. So sure. it was a slow stop. I think most people's concern though, with being in private practice is you don't have like the funds, like you're not getting paid. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so I will acknowledge privilege here. Um, I have a husband who works and yeah. we have benefits through him. So I don't really have to work. Like, so I think that's a privilege yeah. that a lot of people have. So I definitely want to like acknowledge that that's not everybody's experience. Absolutely. And we spent a lot of money on IVF and like adoption and we had yeah. to give us money. Like we were pretty lucky in that sense. So like, that's also privilege. Absolutely. So I was able to like, not stress about like, we just spent all this money on IVF and adoption. Um, I have to work to pay it back. And we took out a loan. Like we were pretty smart. We're pretty smart with our money. So yeah. it's like, that's another thing. Like people wanting to take off is like, yeah. if you know, like ish, I mean, you have nine months yeah. usually, um, not in your case, but not in my case, <laughs> yeah. but most of the time, like with yeah. our son, we had nine months. We did. So yeah. then we planned, we just put, I just didn't pay myself as much. I put money away. Yeah. For the yeah. time that I knew I needed to take off with my second son. But my first sure. one, I was just very lucky that my husband is the, is the like main income, mm-hmm. um, which is what, how I'm able to do private practice because I can yeah. work as well as I want or as much as I want. And also why I went into my side D because in, in psychology, because I really don't want to do therapy forever yeah. and I want to have a more mobile, like yeah. I can do testing for a month and leave for a month. He's just not that mobile. So that, I mean, some people have that ability where they have, like, if you're a testing psychologist or if you're a counselor, then it does more, be more assessment stuff. You can do that and then take three months off. So there's, I think there's creative ways that you can do it. But I think if you know, you're going to have a baby, start saving up for that. And if you don't know, you're going to have a baby. That's a whole different, like, obviously right. 
but I was just lucky that my husband has a job. I'm a similar position where my husband was able to cover um, a lot. He makes more than I do, but I was able to prepare yeah. for my maternity leave and know, okay, I need to put X amount away. So it would just cover basic practice expenses while I'm gone. Yeah. And then to still be able to pay ourselves uh, or pay myself during that time. Well, and it's not like you're not working, like running a business, right. you're paying bills every month or to stop by your office and water your flowers. I mean, I know that sounds like inconsistent, like, um, not, uh, as important, but like that stuff also happens. Like right. you have to make sure your office isn't on fire, right. um, your financials <laughs> every month. I mean, yeah. I don't think people realize like you're not really off when you run a business part or full-time it's like running it full-time. I was lucky. I had an awesome, like, um, office mate who did a lot of that stuff for me, That's but sometimes great. you're doing like all the, you know, the monthly like QuickBooks stuff. And like, yep. I mean, you're, you're doing things still. And so I still yeah. did that stuff when, when he was napping. I had a better maternity leave with Noah than I did with Ben. I was going to ask, how did that differ yeah. for you? Cause you, you pointed out like you were not necessarily experiencing postpartum after Noah, but yes. with Ben, what was that difference like for you? Yeah. So Noah was like, I was out walking him on the docks. We were out running. Cause I live in a seaside town. So like literally I walk out my front door down a hill and I'm yeah. on the mountainside and I'm on the ocean. So I was like, just, it was like, great. I mean, all my friends are like, okay, wait till you actually experience postpartum. And like, in a, in some ways I did. Um, Absolutely. But, but not the same way as I did with my, with my uh, second son. So my second son, I had a C-section. It was unplanned. Yeah. <laughs> let's have, let's give her fertility issues. And then a really crappy birth experience. That's yep. great. <laughs> um, so I had a horrible like pregnancy with him. So it was not enjoyable. Yeah. I had a lot of mom guilt because I was like, oh my gosh, like my, my oldest son of course is like getting like less of me because I just don't feel good. Yeah. I was sick for 25 weeks. That's, that's rough. It was rough. Um, I had hyperemis gravidarum, like oh my. And I ended up getting preeclampsia, like it just anything you could have, yeah. which like the doctors kind of predicted. Cause I almost went into labor twice. Like it was just like, okay. A horrible experience with Ben. And so then I, um, when I was postpartum, I, we, we were medevac to Seattle because again, we're on a small Island. There's not a lot we can do here. And so we, I had Ben in Seattle. Noah was stuck in catch game with friends. Unfortunately, unfortunately we have a good support group. Then I, we came back and like, I ended up getting an infection post C-section incision infection. So I was like sick for like a month. So like I had a horrible like experience with, yeah. And then I think I had like postpartum anxiety pretty bad. So mm -hmm. then I was like, um, so Ben's like, and I think that's where like people are like maternity leave is like so much time off. And it's like, no, it's so much time. No. Yes. Like, Especially so if you've had a C-section. <laughs> like, yeah. So yeah. much time healing. Um, and so, and if I would have like talked to my mom about her C-sections, I would have realized like I had the same experience as her as her first pregnancy. Yeah. <laughs> where she always went to labor several times. But actually, my mom had my brother at 26 weeks. Oh wow. So we had sort of the same. She was sick, all the yeah. same weeks. And if I would have talked to her, I would have known her pregnancy wasn't this beautiful journey. But yeah. it is it's beautiful in a lot of ways too. Um, hard. So, yeah, hard. So I guess the difference for me would be like I actually had to heal. Like yeah. I couldn't like I remember the first walk we went on as a family. Ben was two months old. And I was like struggling even two yeah. months later um, to like, I would like sit down when we were at the park and be like, okay, you guys go walk. Thankfully my husband was able to, I mean, he's got an incredible job where he gets, he's been there long enough and he gets some time, a lot of time off and yeah. he would take like almost eight weeks off with me. Yeah. 
Yeah. Pretty much the primary. And I didn't bond with Ben the way that I bonded with Noah because breastfeeding was hard too. Sure. These are the things that like women don't hear. And these are the messages, like, I don't mean to be the Debbie Downer, but these are the messages that are really important to hear for people. Like, I felt like just like a crazy person, like all the time when I was pregnant too. Yeah. It's really normal, but people don't talk about that or the hormones. Yeah. Well, and I, I think too, like in thinking about maternity leave with private practice, you can't anticipate what your postpartum is going to be like, right? Like some women breastfeeding is like a piece of cake. It's a take the baby takes to it easily. You take to it easily. Not a problem for others. It's a big struggle. It's really hard. It's taxing mentally, emotionally, physically, right. Or you experience postpartum anxiety, you experience postpartum depression, and you're just trying to cope in like survive day to day. And so one of the things I've shared with a lot of women who talk about like taking maternity leave is haven't anticipated a return date, but like that you, if you give yourself grace, right. Where like, if you're like, okay, I anticipate two months. And at the end of two months, if you're like, I'm not ready, your clients will be okay. (laughs) Take that time to heal, take that time to bond with your baby, because if you're not okay, you're not going to be able to be there for your clients either. No. And you can only take your clients as far as you've taken yourself. I mean, like we can't expect like, that's like with Ben, it was a tentative return date. Like it was a, like I might be back at the beginning of November, maybe. And I can't remember when I went back with him. I actually was done with all my practicum. So I left, I worked at the tribe in Ketchikan and I left that job or full-time private practice again. I at least had the, like, I didn't have a caseload built up. So I actually had the freedom that my second maternity leave where I was able to be like, okay, like I can take as much time as I need. I ended up wanting to go back though, because I think after the second, and when you have two under two, you want some like, I need an adult. (laughs) Yeah. Like, I want to help you with your stuff. Like, I don't want to like the, I don't want to do the mom thing all day. So I'm just, and again, kind of going back to like my luck with my husband's job, like he has, he only works first or second. So he's a, he's in law enforcement and he only works first or second shift, which is like unheard of in law enforcement. Yeah. Um, And so like, and then he gets like a good span of five days off. So he works on 10 off five. Our schedules can align where we don't even need childcare, which is like a beautiful thing. Absolutely. Um, So I was able to be like, okay, on your five off days, like it fell during the weekdays, I'm going to work these days. So we were able to kind of work around like each other's schedule, which was really nice. So I I went back, I think end of October with Ben and I was feeling like I needed just that like little bit of peace, like peace and quiet too, from like the kids. Um, but we ended up actually, and I don't think there's anything wrong with this. I think every mom's path is different. We did end up actually doing daycare for both of them Yeah, for a year before we moved to Montana because we really needed like our time too. You don't have to explain to me. (laughs) I get it. Yeah. Yeah. That was a nice break for us. We could do some things during the day together if we wanted to. The nice thing about private practice is like, again, your schedules can be built around your life and obviously keeping in mind consistency for clients. And I think that's something like having two kids in two years. So I've been on, so some of my clients have been on two maternity leaves with me. Yeah. Um, and that I think like most of my clients are super supportive. Great. Sure. And, but that's also like, oh no, I need to work harder because I just took like two, like three, four or five months since off. 
And I think that's like American culture just sucks about that because mom yeah. should be able to take like in Canada, you can take a year with your child and your job is safe. There's so much um, sadness or, for me around like that guilt. Yeah. Now my kids are, um, you know, almost two and almost three. And I'm like, yeah. where did this time go? Where yeah. did it go? You know? Yeah. If you had a piece of advice to give somebody, regardless of what their journey is to, to motherhood or parenthood, like, what would you say to them if they're trying to figure out what should I do for maternity leave? I think definitely it depends on your circumstance. So I would just mm -hmm. want to honor like that space too. So like make the best decision for your family. But my piece of advice would be make the best decision for your family. Yeah. Um, because like you, like for me specifically, I worked so hard to have these kids, like literally worked really hard to have these yeah. kids. And I don't think I took enough time off um, because of the guilt about being a therapist and showing up. But, you know, someone said to me recently, because we're trying to navigate this next chapter of our life. And someone said to me, no one is going to be mad at you for your success and taking care of yourself. No one's going to be mm. mad at you. Like whatever that looks like, your success as a mom, your success as a, as a psychologist, your success as a therapist, no one's going to get mad at you for that, for saying like, I need to go better myself or sure. I need to be a better mom. Sure. Um, so I think my, my, my main piece of advice would be make the best decision for your family and don't listen to the noise. Don't listen to the societal expectations of people overworking themselves, moms, and not being able to show up with their kids in the way they should. And don't listen to like any of the input from people from different generations of parenting, because everybody is so different. You can't, you legitimately cannot get these years back. And now my toddler is potty training. And I love to tell the story of just how interactive, like two and a half and up are, I mean, yeah. I, every time I go to the potty, I get cheered on and get a prize yeah. in the box too. I got so it's like, the other day too for my two-year-old. <laughs> like, this feels so good. Um, and it's just like, those are moments that like when you're working every day, you just don't get to yeah. see. So like yeah. balance, whatever that looks like for you, balance of taking time off for yourself on maternity leave, being there for your child and then taking care of yourself during that time. And hopefully like if it's a partner and non-partner, you have support of family in some aspect too. Yeah. Let me ask another question um, yeah. before we start to wrap up uh, kind of around maternity leave and adoption. And I know your adoption experience is different than like, yeah. if it was planned, like, I mean, it was planned, but it was, you were not expecting a baby nope. that no. soon. We got a baby if, in two days, <laughs> yeah, which is insane. Yeah. Um, for somebody who is either thinking about adoption or is in the adoption process and in private practice, and let's say that they are in a situation where they know this baby is going to be coming in X amount of months, how would you, like, if you were in that experience now, how would you yourself or recommend navigating maternity leave? Because, you know, if you are physically pregnant clients start to see, or if you're like, I have to take time off because it's coming up. But when you're going through an adoption or even a surrogacy experience, it, you know, it presents a little different. So I'm curious how you either yourself, or you would recommend to people navigating that with clients and maternity leave. Yeah. So a lot of the times you do know, and I think it's about two to three months, usually okay. when the adopted mom picks like a okay. family and you do family planning together and stuff like that, birth planning together. Um, so if, if that were a case, which is what we were prepared for, um, I would say to like inform your clients, let them know like, Hey, we have in at your comfort level. Like, I think sure. we all know that the self-disclosure is different depending, depending on your theoretical orientation. Yep. So how you practice. Yeah. And so I would just say like, 
ground in that and like explore that with your clients in that space that feels like what's comfortable for you. We probably, we probably would have done is like, Hey, we've been matched with a family. We are planning on adopting and that's, that's going to take a couple months. And I just want to give you a heads up. So if you need to find another therapist in the next couple months, um, you can do that. Or if you want to wait, this is what my maternity leave is probably going to look like. And so I would just say, be as upfront as you can be with all the information you feel comfortable sharing. I don't feel like it's too much to share that you're adopting, but some therapists might feel like that. And so you could, you could phrase it like, Hey, we have a a life change coming up and it's going to require me to take some time off. And that, what that looks like is between this and this. Cause I also know that babies can come early. If it's a couple months, you want to give them like 60 days in my opinion. Yeah. And if the baby comes early, then you at least have had that time. Sure. To be like, okay, the baby's here kind of thing. Sure. Just kind of giving them a heads up of like, either there's a baby coming or there's some kind of change coming yeah. and kind of this is anticipation of when I may be going out. Yeah. And in yeah. Ketchikan, like where I live, like everybody can see me walking my child. So one form or the other, they were going to find out that I was adopting yeah. because I, one, I didn't have a baby in my belly for nine months. Yeah. So I felt like a little bit more like comfortable being like more adopting. Sure. Um, but sometimes like in bigger cities, like that's not, you don't need to share that information, but in Ketchikan, it was just, it's just a different yeah. beast. And so like yeah. people are going to find out, like I literally had clients, past clients saw, see me in the grocery with a baby and they were like, who is this baby? <laughs> I like, I'm like, Oh, we adopted him. Um, yeah. you know, kind of thing, because like, it's, it's just, such a small, such yeah. a small, like know your audience, know your city, know your, you know, like yeah. sometimes you don't need to share that. You can say there's just something coming up and like, yeah. it's an important change. And like, I need to attend to it. First off, I just want to thank you so much for like sharing this story, your story with us today. And I know there's so many different parts of it that are going to connect with so many different listeners. Is there anything else before we start to wrap up though, that you want to share that like for anybody who's either going through infertility or loss or the adoption process and is in private practice, anything that you again, kind of want to offer to them or, you know, recommendations or things for them? Yeah. Gosh, that's such like a rich question. question. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I think what I would say is like, if your goal is to have a baby, you can get there. Um, if like, that's really important to you. Like, I mean, our goal was to have two kids and here we are with two kids. The journey is not easy. Like it was heartbreaking. I mean, there were times like, I felt like I was dying because I didn't know if I could get through the grief. And I don't mean like, I want to kill myself right? in that sense. But like, I physically was like, is this what it feels like to lose a family member? That's really important to me. Cause I'm lucky. I haven't lost, I've lost an aunt, but that's about it. And she was really important to me, but like, someone I've never met. And I feel this connected to, um, and I think treat every loss as like other people's success in IVF is not your pain. I think that Mm -hmm. was really important for me to hear. I heard that actually in a Bible study that I was doing. Um, and I would also recommend support groups. Um, I was doing one called moms in the making and it's a Christian based one, but that doesn't mean that's the right one. I think there's so many out there and like, there's so many messages that I heard that I was just like, okay, that was so helpful. And so I, I always encourage like support groups, therapy, I think yes. was like a life-changing thing for me. I mean, obviously I'm a therapist and I think therapists should access therapy. I've had some great therapists that have just been the, just what I've needed in that time frame. Um, and then the last thing is like, you're allowed to grieve and you're allowed to love yourself enough to take time away from your practice. Yes. Just because you take time away doesn't mean you're any less of a therapist. It just yeah. means you're more of a therapist and 
a better therapist for people because you're taking care of yourself. And you're modeling for them what that looks like too. Yeah. Yep. Modeling is huge. I mean, we talk about self-care and I think about us as, as a profession, like we are the worst at self-care, the (laughs) worst at balance. And we were taught that from an early, like early training model of like, go to school, work full-time, be in a practicum. Like we're, we're taught, we are a society that's taught. It's not okay to take care of ourselves. And we're therapists that are telling people it's okay to take care of ourselves, but we're not taking care of ourselves. No. We're the no. worst. And, and then you have the messaging towards moms too, right? Yeah. Of like, oh, yeah, yeah, that piece in, right? So yeah. then it's even more compounded, but no, absolutely. And I think, no, it's, we preach it to our clients all the time and we know we need to do it, but yeah. we're just bad at doing that. So yes, yeah. take the time. Yep. And it's okay. And I promise your clients will be okay too. They will. It's amazing. I mean, I had to leave for my internship too. Like I was matched somewhere and I had to leave and my clients are fine. Like I'm still seeing some telehealth here and there, but they're okay. They can find another therapist. You can give them recommendations. Like it's going to be okay. Like you're allowed to live your life and that's okay. And that's been a, that's been a journey for me. That's my own sort of, like you said, martyrdom. Like we're not martyrs. Like we, we are people who make mistakes too. And like, we need to own those. Yeah. So, yeah. Thank you so much, Brittany, for being here today. And again, just for your openness and being willing to share your experience. I hope you share your research somewhere at at PSI conference or like publish it, but I hope, I hope that gets out. I got to get through the next phase. And then I, my plan was to write something up this summer when I'm done with my internship and I take some time off. I was going to just do some writing and get that out. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Good. Well, thank you so much for being here today. All right. Thank you. Again, I just want to thank Brittany so much for sharing her story with me and opening herself up for all of you listeners. And if you're anticipating taking maternity leave in private practice soon or in the future, be sure to register for the free workshop I'm hosting called Planning for Maternity Leave in Private Practice. Again, you can register at raisetoempower.com forward slash maternity leave. Thank you for listening to today's episode. And if you haven't done so already, be sure to subscribe to the show so that you'll get part two of this series tomorrow directly in your podcast feed. Thank you so much for listening to the Raise to Empower podcast. Check the show notes for all links and resources mentioned in the show. If you found today's episode helpful or inspiring, be sure to share it with your therapist friends. And don't forget to subscribe to the show and leave your five-star rating and review. It truly means so much to me and will help us get our message of empowerment out to other women and mom clinicians. And I'd love to connect with you in our Facebook community. So check out the show notes for the link or head to bit.ly forward slash raise to empower to join us. I'll see you back here next week.